So this morning we start off, we're in our, we're in generations, our foundational scripture. And we are picking up in Genesis 17, verses 15 through 16, and I will read it with you. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. There ends the Lord's word for this morning. Often we get lost in the facts of the matter. The facts of the matter, the facts of the situation, the facts of the problem at hand, that we often lose complete sight of the faith of the matter. Now, let's just recap just a little bit in regards to Genesis and the story as well. Let's just kind of highlight some of the things that's happened so far in Abraham and Sarah's journey, okay? First, at the age of 75, Abraham and Sarah were told to leave home. I don't know about you, but already that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. 75, you must leave your home. They ended up in Egypt where they lied. They lied about who Sarah was in relationship to Abraham. Then, let's keep going here, okay? Sarah then proceeds to have her maidservant go forth and bring a child. She hasn't received a child that God had previously promised. She decides to take matters into her own hands. Sound a little familiar right here? So she takes matters into her own hands. She has her servant, Hagar, go ahead and bring forth a child. And these are the foundational people of the Old Testament, okay? And we're not even done yet. Okay, let's keep going in the story. Now in the story, here we are where God once again is renewing his covenant with his people. And he's saying that Abraham, who is 100, Sarah, who is 90, is going to have a child. Once again, a little uncomfortable. 90 years old, bringing forth a child. And as he's going forth, he decides to change their names. And I was just speaking to a friend um, who is having a, bless you, whoever that was, just bless you. <laughs> and a friend of mine who's about ready to have a child was telling me the story of a loved one who had to go in and have major surgery, major head surgery. And as a relative was proceeding to go in for the surgery, she reached out and said, look, if things turn really bad, going in for major head surgery, if things just take a turn for the worse. Can you please just let me know what the baby's name is? She wanted to know what the child's name is. Names are important to us. They matter greatly to us. And here, once again, God is renewing that names are important, but more so the name that he calls his children. Now, if you look at the spelling, the difference between um, Abraham and Sarah, it's a really subtle difference. It's a letter. And if you look at the letter, you realize that it's the H. And if you understand and are familiar with Hebrew script and texture, you understand that oftentimes you might have heard the word Lord's name being referred to as Yahweh. Well, if you look at the spelling of Yahweh, the 
H, the huh sound within the Yahweh, is that same H within Abraham and Sarah. So literally what God did was he planted himself in the middle of Abraham and Sarah. It's not the what that we want to discover, it's the how. Because see, when you look at the text of the Hebrew scripture of that, that name, the spirit, it fulfills two things in Yahweh. It fulfills the what and the how. And as I said, oftentimes we get lost in the how. How are things going to happen in our lives, right? How is everything going to unfold? And we lose a little bit of the sight of God's purpose within it. And we remove and we need to step back and realize that it is God who is looking to place his spirit within us. If you look at the Torah, you actually see that there is a reference that, God, that it says, God is your mother and your father. And here he is in the old scripture, in this very context of Abraham and Sarah's life, placing himself within both the mother, mother of nations, and the father of nations. And he does this in several ways by accomplishing his new covenant with us. He does it by character change, blessings that have been established, and our mission our mission change, character change. Character change is the redemption that brings change in character. Redemption that brings change in our character. For as Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. See, God redeems us through our change. You have to accept the change, and you have to put the actions forth to it. Note that the very next scripture, if you're looking in Genesis, you will see that in verse 17, that without a question, the next time Abraham refers to his wife, he immediately calls her Sarah. True redemption happens when you take off your old coat and you put on your new one. Recently, we took our kids tubing. And if you hadn't noticed, we've had a really mild winter. And so I told my, my daughter to go get her ski pants on, and she comes back, and there's a gap this big. And so then I tell her, go put your boots on. Let's see if it will cover up from where the bottom of your snow pants are hitting you. And she looks at me, and she goes, Mom, there's no way we're going to make this one work. I said, okay, so it's a mad scramble to see if we can find snow pants from someone else. See, when you get the new snow pants, you don't go back to the old ones. The redemption that happens through our Savior changes us. It moves us. It stirs us. And it does so by three things, three elements. Fear. I know some of you, your head snapped up real quickly when I said that. It's the emitting of the fear. When you're able to acknowledge that the fear is a lie, it gives you the ability to move past it. But until you admit it, you're accepting 
fully what the opponent is trying to tell you. It's saying, God, I can't do this. I am admitting this. I've got to let this go through your power. Sarah had a fear of having a child. At first, she took matters into her own hands, and yet God came back to her again. Flexibility. Flexibility is trusting. Trusting the redemption. Oftentimes, we decide that we we just want to stay rigid. Well, guess what? Rigidness doesn't allow the cracks to come through. It doesn't allow God's light to shine through us. It doesn't allow the change to happen. The ability to stay flexible, trusting in the process. When we remain rigid, we lose that ability. And then the third one, the third aspect that brings forth redemption is faith. Believing. Believing that we don't have the answers, but we have already received the inheritance. This morning as I was getting ready to leave, and once again, the opponent, he really likes to do things with my iPads. Once again, the opponent was doing something with my and I couldn't get something up on my iPad, and my daughter turned to me and said, Mom, did you do happy and grateful? And I turned to her and I said, I didn't. You're right. And I sat there and I quickly said happy and grateful and I went about my de- rest of the things that I had to do this morning, believing, having the faith. And then when my daughter turned to me again, she said, Mom, did you check the iPad? Lo and behold, happy and grateful. <laughs> Hebrews 9 verse 15 says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The redemption of Christ gives us the ability so that we can redeem ourselves through change to fulfill the purpose of what God is asking us to do. The fact of the matter is that a simple letter changed changed somebody's name. The faith of the matter is that God is the author. So many times we like to write our own little script, don't we? We like to see if we can interject something in there. God is the author. It means that we have the peace to remove ourselves and take our hands off the situation. Sarah allows God to enter her life to give her a new identity, not one of her own, but one that is planted and based on God. I bring up uh, Angola Prison in Louisiana, if you haven't heard of it. Back in the 80s, it was a really hard prison. Majority of inmates were there on life in there with life, without parole, would never see outside those walls again. It was one of the um, bloodiest and deadliest prisons that we had in the, in the States. And a theological scholar went in there, a minister, and he was preaching. And of course, in the prison, you couldn't preach in front of a group. He had to get piped into all of the cells. And once he finished, he was able to interact with a few of, of the inmates, and he went up to this young man in his 20s, 
And he said, can I ask you a question? How do you feel knowing that you will never see outside these walls? And the young man said, well, you know, I feel great about it. I'm at peace. And he said, really? How so? Because you see, at the time, there was a new warden that had come about. And this new warden had come about into the Angola prison and had realized during one of the executions, as he watched a prisoner be executed, sat back and said, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian and I never preached the gospel to that inmate. And that warden went ahead and said, you know what? Instead, every time an inmate checks in, we're going to hand them a Bible. And he started a missionary within this prison. And so when this prisoner was asked this question, he said, you don't understand. By coming to this prison, by learning that I am wanted, by redeeming myself, I have broken free of my bondage. I have come to know Christ. I have removed my chains. Don't pray for me. Don't feel sad or sorry for me. Instead, I ask, I ask you, sir, as he's pleading to this minister, please pray for my parents who are out there and don't even realize the bondage and the chains that they are in. Redemption changes us, regardless of the situation. Not only does God give us character change, but he also establishes numerous blessings in our life. And he does this in a quite unique way and fashion. He's an author, and he writes our script, but he also knows that there is purpose behind it. And he gives us numerous, numerous opportunities to help us and extend grace to us. And one of those are the blessings that he gives us. But during this process of blessings, he does something very uniquely. He anoints us. See, during the text, Sarah's eyes widens to see, to see the truth. That when a blessing is established, there's a process that comes before receiving it. Before you receive the blessing, you've got to accept the anointment. In verse 16, the Lord says, I will bless her and surely give her a son by her. I will bless her. He says it twice. He doesn't say, he is a baby wrapped in swaddling blanket. He says, I will. He gives Sarah the anointment. If you go back through your Old Testament, you will see it several times repeated. He anoints David when he's a child. David doesn't become a king that day, does he? He anoints him. John the Baptist is anointed before he begins his ministry work. Sarah, once again in this process, is anointed with the ability that she will bring forth a child. You see, my daughter came across a, a really amazing quote, and she quotes it very often. And it goes like this. We're all a little broken, but last time I checked, Broken crayons still colored. 
thank goodness God, every time fall rolls around, doesn't go out to Target and get a new box of crayons. He likes the broken ones. Imagine what his coloring box looks like. Remember Sarah and 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 Abraham. I mean, they've lied. They've gone against God's will. They literally laugh at God. He uses the broken pieces. In all of that that they did, they never lost the anointment. See, as children of God, we receive the anointment, but it's what you do to claim and receive the blessing. She lies, Sarah loses face, she treats other people badly, and she laughs. But it's what she does. She accepted her anointment. And because she accepted it, she is the most mentioned woman in the Bible. I'll say that again. She becomes the most mentioned woman in the Bible. Blessings are established because the anointment comes before. But you've got to make sure that you are in position. Position. Position is where you are placed, where you let God place you. I always go back to Abraham in, the, in Genesis. What does God do? Excuse me. I always go back to Adam in Genesis. What does God do to Adam? He places him in the garden. He puts him into position. Are you allowing yourself to remain open to the position that you are in? This warden in the Angola prison, he thought he was just a warden, just looking over inmates. When he accepted and received his anointment, he realized, I have been placed here, I have been anointed, and I am called to minister. That prison has one of the largest ministry groups. The position the position that God has placed you in, the people that are around you, the places that you visit. Once again, my daughter, 10, Mom, were you happy and grateful? What you share with others. Abraham and Sarah, they are called out of their homeland at 75 years of age to go forth, and they are given a new position, a new place. Obedience is the second one. The obedience, how did you respond to the instructions? Sarah gives us a great example of what not to do. What not to do. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't think that you can solve it all. Give it over to God. Let him be the author, for that is what he is. Allow the Holy Spirit to work and move within you. My seven-year-old came to me once, and we were talking, and he said, Mom, how do you know when God's really talking to you? Like, really? Think about it. How do I know? There's a lot of things that go on in my head. And I said, well, so the next time the situation comes up, we'll investigate. So sure enough, he has an older sister. So I'm telling you maybe five minutes later, situation comes up. 
older sister antagonizes a younger brother, you can see the look in his eyes, right? He's plotting and planning. And as he's going forth, and you can see this look, I, I tell him, I said, honey, hold on one second. I just want to talk to you before you're about ready to go do whatever that thing is that you're about ready to go do that you know isn't going to go down so well. Yeah, mom? And as he's looking at me, but really looking at his sister, but looking at me and trying to concentrate here, but you know he's really over here with his sister. He turns to me and he goes, okay, mom, what do you got to tell me? I said, remember before we were talking about when God speaks to us? when the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us to do something. Yeah? You hear that voice in your head right now that's telling you to leave your sister alone? And that you should probably go into your room for a few minutes and calm down and go play with your Pokemon cards? Yeah, Mom? That's that right there. (laughs) Right there. And so he takes a big, exasperated breath. And as he walks out of the room, into his room, he turns to me and says, I hope you tell my sister the same thing. (laughs) But so many times we lose sight of that voice because all the feelings and the emotions are, are pouring in and overshadowing it. I remind my children, when you hear that voice, when it is telling you to do something of love, of grace, of kindness, of forgiveness, of mercy, doing something that will be of help and service to somebody else. There, there you will find the Holy Spirit trying to guide and direct your footsteps, to guide and direct your actions. You just have to quiet yourself and give yourself the chance and the opportunity to listen to it. So Sarah does. Sacrifice is the third one. What will you give up? All I have to say is the woman was 90 having a child. That's given up a lot. What will you give up? In order to receive the blessing, God also asks us to make a sacrifice, to give something of ourselves. She humbled herself. So much so that her son's name is Isaac. He will laugh is the meaning of his name. In reference to the fact that she laughed to God. So think of it. Every time she goes and calls her son, he who laughed, can you bring me some water? He who laughed, can you please help me with dinner? She is humbling herself and reminding herself. What is it that you are giving up? and sacrifice of. I go back to John the Baptist. He was anointed. The sacrifice that he made. He went forth, lived in the wilderness. He gave up much to receive the blessing that God had called him forth to do. Isaiah 1.19 says, if you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. The best of the land. Not the crumbs of the land, but the best of it. The facts of the matter is she was told she was going to have baby, but she was barren. The faith of the matter is that God was the author of her script. And Sarah will play a major role in the future of her people, of the nations to come. I remember once being cast in a play 
as God at a Catholic school. You know, oftentimes it's interesting how you, you have that moment where I'm cast, cast to play God at a Catholic school. There was a lot of stuff and murmur in the backgrounds. But it's not until an actor gets on stage that they bring forth the blessing of the play, correct? You can be casted. Your name can be up there on the sheet and on the list. You can give your friends the high fives all you want, but until you get up stage and actually do it, it's not done. You can be anointed. Your name can be on the script. You can be said that you are anointed, but it's until you get over here and get to the doing and to the receiving of the blessing. And once we receive the anointment in the depths of our heart that we can accept the final aspect, the mission change. Here, Sarah is a woman, a woman of 90. Can't stop saying that age, right, can you? 90, being promised a child, but something substantially more. She's gone from being Sarah, which means princess, to simple princess. Because that's the translation to Sarah. It seems so simple, doesn't it? I mean, Abraham got like father of nations. And Sarah just kind of gets the princess. She loses the possession of the mind. Sometimes it is the simplest changes within our mission that we often overlook. In verse 16, she will become a mother of nation. Kings of people will come from her. Mission changed. She's no longer a mother of one, but a mother of nations. But that mission at the time seemed so small. Reining in our, realigning ourselves with the mission. Putting ourselves to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. Sometimes we want to see what? The whole staircase. We want to see all of it. We want to see how it's all going to lay out and come about. The truth of the matter is God says, just take what? One step. Just take one step at a time. Society today wants us to have it all. Receive it all now. And God says, no, no, no. One step. One step needs to see before you can see the whole situation. One step at a time. Often enough, you're grateful just for that ability. I must say, being 90, I'd be really grateful than knowing way back then what was going to happen there. It's a one step at a time. It's the acts of faith. And oftentimes, we, we lose the concept. God's called such great heroes in the Bible to be fathers of nations, to be mothers of nations. But yet here I am. Where's my mission? That's the great thing about God. That's the amazing aspect of receiving the blessing, of being redeemed. Your mission is right where you are right where you have allowed God to position you in, 
right where he's called you and changed you, reformed you. It could be at your work. It could be at Market Basket like myself the other day as I was walking, and my daughter made mention to this when we were coming into church. She goes, Mom, you walk so fast. I used to work in the city, so I have my city walk, the one that will just plow right over anybody in front of me. So here I am in Market Basket, need to hurry up to get back home from my husband so that he can do the whole tag your it thing with the children. And so here I am, and I'm kind of walking really fast through Market Basket, and I have the carriage, and there's another woman who steps out in front of me. But she sees me out of the corner of her eye, and so she pulls over to let me go. That's how fast I was walking. And so then I'm now getting up to the, to the door, and as I get up to the door, I realize, you know what? Let me leave the carriage here. Let me take the bags. One less thing for me to do outside with the car. And she passes me as I'm having, grabbing my bags out of the carriage. And now I'm coming up to her. You know the double doors in between Market Basket? And I'm coming up to her at the double doors. She once again sees me coming and pushes herself in the carriage out of the way again because I'm walking so fast. And so I stopped. I just paused and took a breath. And in that moment, I turned to her and I apologized. And I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm walking really fast. And she so sadly turned to me and said, it's OK. I walk really slowly. It happens to me all the time. I try to come to market basket when there's not a crowd. <laughs> And so she's telling me this, and I'm looking at her, and I said, you know, I said, I'll tell you what. I want you to go first. I said, because in it is my lesson to slow down. And so and I, I said, for me to slow down, and it's also your lesson for you to go ahead and lead. And so she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, why, thank you, ma'am. I don't think anyone had ever told her that recently. And here I am, and I let her proceed to go. And she had such a smile on her face, such joy. And as we're walking out and we're on our way to the cars and we had a little bit more dialogue, I turned to her and I said, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to use this on Sunday. <laughs> to which ensued a whole other conversation about church and where I attended and the service that I was planning. See, your mission can be just so small. It can be in a simple interaction or exchange with somebody. It can be a prison warden who decides to pass out Bibles to his inmates. Someone reminded me this week, and I thanked God in my head, and I said to the person, I said, oh, that gave me goosebumps. And in my back of my head, I said, ah, because it needs to go in here. John 14, 12. Very truly, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. That's what Christ said. Greater things than him? We can do the same? Yes, we can. Through our redemption, through receiving the blessing, that anointment, and the action so that we can receive our blessing through the ability to say, yes, God, I accept the mission change that you have placed on me. Oftentimes we go through and we 
have our name change. For some of you, you will remember the badges that we've received. Hello, my name is. We fill them out. We write our names. Whole name, first name, big letters, little letters, left side, right side. You know the dilemma every time you fill those things out that goes through your mind as you're filling it out? Hello, my name is. With that, I leave you with this thought from Revelations 2, verse 17. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Today, as you exit the sanctuary, you will be handed a blank hello, my name is badge. I encourage you to take it, to pray over it, to ask God what is the name that he is placing on you. What is that name? For you see, we are all his blessed children. We are his blessed children. But there is action that needs to be taken upon our part. Go home. Take that label, so simple, and know that through his redemption, the day that we enter into his glory, he too will hand us a stone with the name that God knows. But already, it's within here, within your soul, within your heart. He speaks it to you. The question is, is whether or not you accept it and receive it as Sarah and Abraham have. Here ends God's testimony that he has asked and placed in my heart to share with you today.